We're reading from Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is poured out for you. This morning, uh, before I preach, I actually want to do something a little bit different. And I asked my dad if he would be willing to give his testimony. And uh, I don't know if he felt like he could tell me no or not. I told him he could. Uh, but he agreed. So, uh, Dad, you, this wireless, you stand wherever you want. My name is Mark Martin. I'm 65 years old. I grew up in the church. Um, Gratiot Avenue Baptist Church down in Detroit. Um, I was in the nursery probably two or three days after I was born. And um, I was... For the first little while, I was a good little kid that you've heard uh, Pastor Phil reference a few times. Um, a couple things happened. We moved to Bay City, uh, went to First Baptist Church of Bay City, and uh, and knew a lot of folks up there. I was in all the little little kid stuff. You know, I was the cute kid that would mess with the microphone when the teacher thought she had control. And they um, they move they they moved back. To Madison Heights when I was in third grade. Well, by third grade, I had learned how to read, so they never had my attention again. And I, my grades, you could see my grades fall from pretty normal to pretty ridiculous at, in the third grade. I did it twice, uh, and I really didn't care. So in high school, um, I, I met girls, and that was another step away from... Uh, from the Bible, and um, well, the, the reading was all science fiction and fantasy. So uh, the kids are doing video games now. In the in the fifties and sixties, you had books that would do the same thing for you if you wanted to. Um, so had girls, um, and uh, I, I was still going to church. But it, you know, the, the two groups of friends now. You had church friends that you knew at church, and you had neighborhood friends that you knew at neighborhood. Neither of them knew each other. And uh, I was getting farther and farther away from what I knew was right. But I was doing what I wanted to, and I was only hurting myself, so it was okay. Um, after high school, my girlfriend got pregnant, and that broke up. I fairly soon got fired for stealing from the gas station I was working at. And I went back to my uncle's church which is First Baptist of Oak Park, and asked the pastor, he's got two, 300 people there, maybe one of them can hire a non-skilled guy. And um, Bob Minyard said, 
No, I can't help you with that, but I would like to talk to you. Can you come back at 4 o'clock? So I did come back at 4 o'clock, and at that point, in, uh, in the last half of 1972, he started teaching me to want to be a godly man and then how to do that. And he mentored me for a year and a half, um, an hour a week in his office, and eventually I married the prettiest girl in his youth group, and we started having children. Now, there's a, a little girl out there. We had agreed not to talk about my behavior as a teenager. First off, my mother-in-law would never let go of it. If she got mad at me, that would come up, and, and that was a bad idea. Um, second of all, we didn't know if, if we would ever hear from this young lady, and we didn't need teenage children of our own throwing it back in my face and saying, you, you know, well, who are you telling her to be good because you weren't good? Um, Virginia and I had been married 24 years when we got a phone call, and it was the girlfriend from high school who said, your daughter wants to meet you. And some of you have met Amy. Um, Judy, Wojo, Hojo, how do you say it? Um, had, had my daughter in her house a lot in junior high and high school. And uh, she knows Amy maybe better than I do. And uh, so we had mixed uh, family, uh, blended family issues. And uh, she, um, she's part of our family now. Uh, we're supposed to go meet her for a, a birthday supper after church this afternoon. There's still struggles with sins, um, and my children were never taught that I was perfect. They had, uh, they had a father that would apologize to them. I would tell them yes when I could, uh, so that when I said no, it meant something. And um, I came to this church planning on sitting in the back row and not doing anything because I was burned out at the last church from doing too much. And uh, God has been good. I have a family that loves Jesus. I have four children. All of them are serving God somehow. Um, and uh, I have a, a wife that, that 44 years now that um, actually thinks I'm a pretty good guy. And uh, so that, that's pretty much where Philip came from. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. The things that we choose to remember both display our values and define future generations. And I want to ask you to think for just a minute about memory and the things that we choose very intentionally to remember. So we commemorate personal things like births, we celebrate birthdays, weddings, we celebrate anniversaries, deaths, we visit gravestones and leave flowers. But as a people, as a country, as Americans, we remember things like the 4th of July, the founding of our country, great victories, horrible tragedies, 9-11. We say things like, never forget. And of course, we do this with, with 
holidays as well. Things like Thanksgiving. We express gratitude for God's provision. We can think about Christmas. We can think about Easter. And in our text today, in Exodus, we are going to see the event that defines the nation of Israel. And we see God's command to remember this forever. And to this day, somewhere between three and 4,000 years after the events of Exodus took place, Jews still remember this event every year. And in the context of this book, Exodus is written to show how God rescues his people from slavery and takes them to a place of worship. And it begins with the cries of suffering people. And we've seen God's wrath poured out in just judgment to rescue those people from their persecutors. And so far, we have seen the people have two moments of worship as they heard the good news that God would deliver them and as God pledged again to deliver them through this last plague, through the death of the firstborn. They worshipped God. I believe one of the things that the church needs to learn from this book, and when I say the church, I mean broadly the church universal, not just our church, but including our church, we need to remember that it is good and healthy to worship God for His great justice. Last week we saw, because Pharaoh refused to obey God and set Israel free, that the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, was threatened. And God's people prepared for deliverance, anticipating that plague. I spoke about death being a normal consequence for sin, as hard as it is to believe. And I spoke about God's justice and how apart from grace, what we do to others will be done to us. That is justice. And apart from grace, there is nothing left but justice. And then Exodus describes both the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the feast of unleavened bread. The Passover lamb spares Israel from God's just judgment. And the feast of unleavened bread celebrates God bringing them out, making them his own people, leaving behind what's old, becoming something new. And today we will see almost the exact same thing. Many of the things that we will talk about in this passage repeat themes from the previous passage, but there's a key difference. And the difference is this. You see God's redemption. It's not promised. It's actually done. And then God commands his people to remember forever what he has done for them. The repetition is critical. It lets us know how important this moment in salvation history is. God is making sure that we don't miss this truth. Our sin requires death. And if we do not have a lamb who died in our place, then we will face the judgment of God on our own. And so today we see the price of Israel's freedom as God brings judgment down on Egypt. But we also see the command to remember forever what God has done. So this message is in two parts, redemption and remembering. Because of our nature, we quickly forget 
good things that are done for us. And you can see this in small ways every Christmas as kids who are ecstatically joyful, tearing open gifts in the morning, are bored and crying by lunchtime. We quickly forget how good God gives us His gifts. And as people who have been given the gift of God's salvation of redemption, we are also in danger of being bored and crying by lunchtime. So God, in His kindness, gives His children loving reminders to keep us from losing our joy in Him. And this morning... I want to preach the good news of God's redemption and the good news of those reminders. So as we turn to the text this morning, I am going to begin in the second half of Exodus chapter 12. So Exodus chapter 12, I would encourage you to turn there with me. And to begin with, I want to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 28 through 39, or excuse me, 28 through 32. And this is in the first part of the message, redemption. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So everything that Moses and Aaron had commanded them in slaughtering a lamb and putting the blood on on their houses, in observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people followed his instructions. Now continue with me, verse 29. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Israel obediently does exactly what Moses commanded them by slaughtering a lamb for each household and cleansing leaven out of their houses. They have obeyed God, and at verse 28, they are waiting for his redemption, and then God works his judgment on Egypt. The scripture says the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Last week I I reminded you that cry is the exact same word for the cry that the Hebrews made to the Lord in their suffering. And this is the justice of God. So you remember two points from last week. God is just in doing this. He is not wrong. And number two, we all need a lamb to cover our sins. God is just in doing this because of how the Egyptians slaughtered the Hebrew babies. And as terrible as it may seem, when you reject God's grace, there is nothing left but judgment. And the reality is this judgment of God on Egypt is a grim reminder of the judgment that we all deserve. We all need a lamb to cover our sins. The truth is, not only did the Egyptians deserve God's judgment, so does everyone. That's why the children of Israel were required to sacrifice a lamb to spare them from this judgment. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And in this moment, God brings judgment. And the only reason the Hebrews are spared from his judgment is through their faith 
that showed itself in obedience. That's why verse 28 of our text is so important. Before God came in judgment, Israel responded in faith and obeyed His command and did everything that the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And God told them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He spared the Hebrews because their faith showed itself through obedience. And this is not a night that the Hebrews were embarrassed about or ashamed of. This was the night that they were finally set free. This is like their Christmas. Nothing but God's saving justice in all its strength would save them. And they are finally rescued. Their exodus begins in earnest as they are pushed out by the people who enslaved them. So look with me at verses 33 to 42 and see the haste of uh, the haste of the exodus. Verse 33 of chapter 12, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. They plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Twice, the text describes how quickly the people were forced to move. In verse 33, it says the Egyptians were urgent with them. And in verse 39, it says they were thrust out of Egypt. This is the moment where they were finally free from bondage. But God knows that they will forget what he did for them very quickly. And so he immediately instructs them to forever remember his deliverance. So this is the second half of the message, remembering. And we're going to see from verse 40 of chapter 12 all the way through verse 16 of chapter 13, a single theme. God wants them to remember his redemption. So look with me first at just the two verses from 40 to 42. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Notice verse 42, the saving work of God was already done. It was a night of watching by the Lord. He did it. Israel is not remembering this in order to earn God's favor or to be saved. They keep this feast to remind themselves of what God did for them. And I was reminded of the book of Jude that we went through last year at this time where we as God's people are told that God keeps his children secure. And at the same time, because of that, we are urged and instruction, instructed to keep ourselves in his love 
through obedience, remembering what He did for us. Our obedience is not to earn His favor, but our obedience is motivated by what He has done. And just as Israel is to perpetually remember what God did for them, so we are to perpetually remember what God did for us. And He gives them specific instructions as to how they are doing that. So, he already described what the Passover feast is like. Now, he describes who is to remember as they observe the Passover, where they slaughter a lamb, where they eat a feast, where they remember the cost of their redemption. So look with me at verses 43 to 50, and we'll see who it is that remembers. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. I want to make two points clear from these few verses here as the text shifts to the instruction of how to remember God's redemption. First, only God's people celebrate His redemption. And second, anyone is welcome to become part of God's family. You can see how God stresses that every single one of God's people was required to remember the Exodus. And that it was only for people who had become part of that family. At that time, the way into God's family was through the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abraham, which was a sign of God's promise that God would bless the entire world through Abraham's family. By being circumcised, every male was trusting that promise and participating in that promise that God would bless the whole world through Abraham's children. There was no redemption apart from being part of God's people. And today, the Bible also teaches that God's people are saved by grace through faith. There is no right or ritual to become part of God's family. We believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, and by faith in that work, we are saved. But there is a sign of our faith that publicly testifies to what God has done for you, and that sign is baptism. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, you publicly identify with Him through baptism, saying that you were buried with Christ and raised to new life in Him. That sign does not save you. That sign shows that you are trusting in the finished work of Christ. And the church together remembers our redemption as we celebrate every person who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted Christ, but haven't been baptized, let me urge you to obey the Lord by being baptized. 
And you can come talk to me after the service. I would love to help you do that. Just like it was in Moses' day, God's invitation is open to absolutely everyone to be part of his redeemed people. But the sign to become part of God's people led to frequent reminders of what he had done in redeeming them. So just like we don't baptize ourselves over and over again to remember the work of Christ, we are baptized once, so the children of Israel had the sign of circumcision that said, yes, I am trusting in God's promise. And that was a one-time thing. You can't do that again. In the same way, they have regular reminders apart from that sign. So let's look at those reminders and what they remember. And to begin with, let's read verses 1 through 16 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are the males shall be the Lord's. So the feast that includes Passover is instructed to forever remember that God made them his new people. Both the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the redemption of the firstborn are observed to forever remember what God did. And he says this in a few ways. The, the, the passage from 11 to 16 describes the redemption of the firstborn, and we'll look at that in just a second. But he makes it clear Throughout this passage, four times he said, with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. So that describes what they are to remember, God's strength in delivering them. And he says, remember this day in verse 3. And he says, tell your son in verse 8. And he says, keep this statute in verse 10. The implication is they are very likely to forget and they need regular reminders and this needs to be true in every generation that God makes his people new again and again and again not only that but he describes something new here in the redeeming of the firstborn that not only are they once a year 
to sacrifice a lamb, to remember the Passover, to remember that Israel is God's firstborn son and he rescued them out of Egypt. But every firstborn that's born into a Jewish household is to be redeemed or sacrificed to the Lord because God said it belongs to him. So this is commanded in 13 verse 1, and then it's commanded again in verse 11, and it's finally described. So read with me verses 11 through 16. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Again, he says, when your sons ask, say to him, And these reminders are given as a mark on your hand or as frontlets between your eyes. They are very personal. If you study this chapter carefully and you underline or circle every time it says I or me, it shows how personal the redemption of God was for every generation of Israelites and Hebrews. The father is to say to his son, no matter if it's a year or a hundred years, The Lord brought me out of Egypt, so I sacrifice my animals because I belong to the Lord. These reminders are incredibly important. And as we think about application today, the point is incredibly simple. God's redeemed people need to remember their redemption in deeply personal ways. They need to remember the cost of redemption. And they need to remember that they are now God's own precious people removed from Egypt. And we are in the holiday season. And the Christmas application of this message would be to remember that we celebrate Jesus' birth. Our giving gifts to each other should be part of a joyful celebration that the Son of God has come to make all things new. Our giving should be a a part of a fellowship where we love each other and prefer to each other out of a celebration for what God has done. Jesus should be the center of our celebrations in singing, in feasting, and in coming together to worship both as families and as a church. I would encourage you to read the Christmas story to your kids no matter how old they are. You can find it in the beginning of both Matthew and Luke's gospel. Make Jesus the center of Christmas. The book of Exodus helps us understand just how incredible Christmas is. Exodus shows God's awesome glory and power and his terrible judgment. And the God that struck the firstborn of Egypt, who shook Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments from a cloud of smoke, that God 
sent his son to become a baby. Christmas shows God's incredible, radical love and humility, and also in an incredibly powerful way, his great control. It's almost as if he is flaunting Satan himself as he says, you can't touch my son even when he is a helpless baby. God is in complete control in Christmas. Let Christmas be more about worshiping the Savior than even your family gathering. Although I want to say, don't be a pious jerk. If you love God, you will love the people around you too. And as as John Piper once said, if being Jesus-focused is a killjoy for your Christmas, then you don't know Jesus very well. Our celebrations should be full of joy. But in addition to holidays like Christmas and Easter, where we celebrate on a yearly basis what Jesus did, God has given us two ways to remember forever what he's done for us in redemption with baptism and in communion. And those should not be empty rituals that are just habits. Those should be a moment where we say, God redeemed me. I died with Christ and was raised with him in baptism. And the precious blood of Christ, as we read in Luke, was poured out for you, for me. And these should be things that define us, things that that we remember, things that we show the next generation who we are. And so I asked my dad to give his testimony this morning because I heard his testimony from him as a kid. Before I knew everything that he shared with you, I want to mention one of the one of the clearest examples of my dad telling me that God had saved him personally. Dad was honest with me that God had saved him from a past that he wasn't proud of even before I knew some of the details that he shared with you this morning. And I will never forget the first time I heard my dad swear. He was flat on his back putting a transmission back into our K car. And while he was struggling to get it in place, he dropped it. And an 80-pound hunk of gears and grease crashed onto his chest. He let out a, a few words, which I can still hear to this day, a moment of frustration. And I did, as a small boy, what most sane children will do when they see their parents losing it. I quietly snuck out of the garage and ran into the house. I will never forget when my dad came in to talk to me. He didn't mention the obvious, you know, as an adult man, things that I would say. This job was really frustrating. The transmission was really heavy. It hurts to have a transmission smash into your chest. He said, Philip, your dad wasn't always a Christian. And even after God saved me, sometimes I still say things I shouldn't. You've heard the rest of my dad's testimony, and now from my perspective, I want to stress that the faith that I learned at home, it was not a list of rules, it was not a list of beliefs that I had to agree with, it was this, I am a sinner, and God forgave and blessed me. That is the heart of remembering the Passover And that is still the heart of communion. They're not about remembering something that happened thousands of years ago. It is not 
God saved our ancestors. So this is who we are. We remember that past event. It is God saved me. And every generation of every home is to testify to how personal that salvation is. God instructs the head of every home to say, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And every generation is to say that because God redeemed every generation when he made them his people. And it's the same thing in the family of God. There are no grandchildren in God's family. You aren't born into it. Paul says in Galatians, we are all made part of God's family by faith, and faith is not a genetic trait. So as we approach the communion table every month, each of us is saying, God, your son's blood was shed for me. Thank you. It's blood that covers our sins that redeems us from the curse of sin. Jesus makes it so clear that he is observing Passover, that moment when a lamb was sacrificed on behalf of each household, when he says that this is the new covenant in my blood. Remember your redemption with your kids. As you take communion, let them know that you're not perfect. Tell them what God has done for you. Teach them to repent by letting them see you repent and by apologizing when you're wrong. And parents, let me ask you, maybe it's been a while since you've spoken to your kids about your faith, but will you commit to telling your kids how God saved you sometime this week? Will you pick up the phone or when you see them at Thanksgiving? Will you take an opportunity to thank God for what He has done in your life in a public way so that we are faithful to what the Scriptures say to teach our kids? Will you let them know how God forgave you because of Jesus? And as I close, if you don't know the Lord, let me urge you to trust Him. There's no greater love than the love of God when He sent His Son to die in our place. God's judgment is very real. and You can see it in the death of the firstborn. Only the blood of the Lamb will cover your sins. Let us all trust Jesus, our Lamb, completely. And let us all remember what He has done for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you make your mercies new every single day. We praise you that although our salvation was accomplished in history, we experience you fresh every day, moment by moment. We ask that you would help us to remember what you have done for us. We pray that you would fill our celebrations and our memories with joy. May we rejoice at the forgiveness and blessing that we have through Jesus. May we rejoice in our church. May we rejoice in our homes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.